welcome to the first ever episode of the Dead Game Podcast, a show about games, the people who make them, and the people who play them, as well as the endless, fascinating, heated, and often absurd conversations surrounding them. I'm your host, Ethan Gatch, a senior reporter at Kotaku, and every episode I'll be talking to some people in the space who I think are really smart to help me break down what's going on. This time, I'm joined by Alyssa Mercante, senior editor at Kotaku. Hi, how are you? And Giovanni Colantonio, Colantonio, gaming editor at Digital Trends. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks for having me to to send this this ship off into the night. Yeah, the maiden voyage. I'm really excited. I'm really thankful that you are both uh, willing to to come on. Um, I really admire uh, both of you, love your work. And uh, I wanted to kick off, um, you know, my hope is that every time uh, I record, there'll be new people on. And so I want to introduce you both with two things. First, what are you playing right now? And second, what is something the internet does not know about you? Oh, Alyssa, Alyssa, you can go first. Um, so I just beat Baldur's Gate 3 last night or two nights ago. Um, so now I'm back to being an absolute uh, sucker and playing Overwatch 2 again to try and, as I call it, crank my rank. Complete smooth um, brain which again. Is- <laughs> yeah, um, I hate. I don't know why I do this to myself. That's what I'm playing. Um, and then maybe one thing that it got the internet knows everything right? about it's me. It's gonna be like, hard for you. Like everyone here has seen like my butt. Um, uh, I've never been camping. <laughs> How about that? Okay, uh, Miss Long Island's never been to the woods. <laughs> And I won't ever go camping. Uh, yeah, I, I've tried to go camping once in Maryland. Uh, actually, real quick story. We're, there's like 10 of us who are going to go. And it was just not even like super, super camping. They're just campsites, you know, all back to back. People, you park your cars and set up your tents. And it's all very chill. But um, we were we had brought alcohol, which obviously you're not supposed to have at a state park. And we're a bit too loud past like when the other families had gone to sleep and so hey a forest ranger whenever came over and was like what's going on here and we're all like 25 26 by this point um he made us dump out the the uh handle of bullet bourbon we had and then got to going through a friend's uh ruckus sack and found some illicit substances (laughs) we had a prolonged shakedown uh, and then at, at like half an hour to 45 minutes later, our, you know, our, our one friend is in handcuffs and he's like, uh, by the way, by the way, I was walking around just to let you all know, there's a huge storm headed through. You're going to want to get out of here. <laughs> uh, so we spent the whole night in our cars, uh, as trees were falling down around us, uh, and all of our tents got washed away. Um, so yeah. Don't... And you lost all your drugs. Yes. Those were confiscated, but, um, I think. Um, when, when our friend actually did go to contest the charge in Maryland court, like the, you know, whoever it was didn't show up and they're like, whatever, just, just don't come back. Um, so yeah, moral of the story, don't go camping. Uh, yeah, the, See, I, I used I to go right. camping a lot as a kid and I, I got my head split open by a rock on a trip. I had like staples at the oh top my of my God. head from it. So yeah, just don't do it. Don't do so it. So why would I ever go camping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. REI, definitely not going to be a sponsor on this podcast. Um, Giovanni, what, what's, what are you playing right now? And what's something the internet doesn't know about you? Yeah. Uh, so last night I actually just started playing Prince of Persia, the lost crown, uh, which just came out, uh, Tomas, uh, frenzy over at our site, uh, reviewed it for digital trends. So I didn't get a chance to play it, picked it up last night and boy, as, as, as a big Metroidvania head, which is how I would describe myself. That's a good Metroidvania just right out the gate, just sharp, sharp combat. It, it feels like you're playing 
30 hours into a game right from the jump with, with how much you can do. Uh, really, really neat. Excited to dig into it more. We're only a couple of hours into that. Um, in terms of things that people don't know, I feel like a lot of them, it depends. It People might know and might not. So I'll just throw this one out because I don't, know that people know this um if you if you recall in circa the year 2020 2021 there was a, a a meme twitter account uh that was called can you violate the geneva conventions <laughs> which was a twitter account uh parodying the can you pet the dog twitter account uh that cataloged if you could pet the dog in games but instead it cataloged if you could violate the geneva conventions in games uh i made that <laughs> that was oh! me running that <laughs> Uh, that was a, a spinoff from Hard Drive uh, when I was writing at Hard Drive at the time. Um, I, I made that account. I don't run it anymore. It's just kind of like, I think, just retweets Hard Drive stuff at this point. Uh, but if you ever saw that stuff, that that was that was me for a good year. <laughs> Holy shit, the man behind the curtain. Yeah. You know, I did, I did a lot of Hard Drive stuff back in the day. Uh, I also... I shouldn't say this, but I'll just say it. Uh, when when Hard Drive got into that war with Elon Musk, uh, with like the Wario picture, and they made fun of him, and Hard Drive wrote like an apology to Elon Musk. That was me as well. <laughs> I, I wrote that whole piece. Oh my god! But I didn't put my name on it because I was like, I don't really want to get involved in this. So it's like under Hard Drive staff. But if you go back and read the apology to Elon, that was actually from me. That's wild. Oh that's my like god. a that's a big moment in the internet, the history of the internet. Yeah. Happy to be part of it. I don't think I was supposed to do it technically, but I because of my job. So I I think it's far enough away that it, uh, no harm, no foul. <laughs> I'm calling up the EIC. Yeah, I'm just like, I've right never yeah. been camping. He's <laughs> like, I fucking pissed off Elon Musk. <laughs> it was a good accomplishment. People were like reading that statement on Sky News and being like, hard drive said this. And they were reading it as like a serious thing. And I was like, I, I'm so glad nobody knows <laughs> I wrote this. But wow. it's far enough removed now that I'm... I'll, I'll put it out there. All right. Well, now that we now that the internet knows both of your uh, deepest, darkest secrets, it's time to talk about another deep, dark secret, which is the wonderful world of generative AI. Um, I was trying to think of like what a big topic would be uh, for like the first episode. And then sometimes life gives you lemons and there's just generative AI shit wall to wall. Taking the year off. I, I like I it just it's just wild. Like, so, I mean, to, just to lay the to lay the scene i think uh like literally the first what business day or no, i guess it was the first of the year the ceo of square enix was like hey everyone uh we know that you love us and so by the way we're going to be super aggressive going forward in embracing new technologies including generative ai um and that was like just the first of a number of of instances of like I felt like last year sort of played out a lot of AI stuff, but like with the NFT things in 2022, it's ramped up. There was Magic the Gathering had a big clusterfuck because they were using generative AI backgrounds for ads. Apex Legends was accused of using a generative AI anime filter for some of the art in a, in a trailer for the crossover with Final Fantasy VII. And then Square Enix recently... Um, the producer of Foam Stars, uh, Kasuke um, Akatani, told VGC that there was AI used for, I believe it was album cover art for songs in the game, which he, you know, described as being basically 0.01% of the game, but which everyone else was like, why, why would you, like, why would you put that in there at all? Um, and he had, and he confirmed that it was Mid Journey being used. Um, so basically, an off-the-shelf AI tool trained on who knows what using that information in the game that they're going to now 
sell and give people on PlayStation Plus. So uh, the two the two sort of lightning rods that I wanted to talk about, and you know we can feather out from there is one. There was a bunch of AI stuff at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which Giovanni, I know you were at, um, and then there was a huge meltdown with uh, SAG-AFTRA announcing a groundbreaking quote groundbreaking um, AI deal for voice actors with a company I believe it was Replica Studios. First of all, how are you both <laughs> feeling about having to cover AI again for another year? <laughs> uh, actually, I was I have I brought a prop. You never no one's going to see this, but you'll appreciate this. Um, since Nicki Minaj was just caught doing generative AI, I went and bought the <laughs> Nicki Minaj wrap uh, snacks at my bodega. <laughs> And I'm gonna open these up and eat them right now. Oh, that's now. good podcast audio. Yes, <laughs> I like that. Oh my God, and crunch it right in there. That's like a perfect new phrase too. Like just caught doing generative AI. Like <laughs> yeah, they got caught. They got caught doing an AI. Um, yeah, I mean we're covering it pretty pretty extensively, and you know I expect us to. We're already sick of it, so I guess now what? It keeps going. Yeah, for us. Um, at the beginning of the year, we, we always do something at the end of the year where we do our predictions for 2024. And when I was writing them this year, I had a moment where I was like, should I write that AI is going to be a thing and that, you know, it's going to be a whole controversy? And I was kind of like, no, I think we saw it in 2023. I think, like, we, we got through that phase and it's not going to be a thing. And, like, lo and behold, it was it was truly not even starting yet. And I was completely wrong about that. Um we have been covering it pretty closely. Um, you know, Digital Trends has, has covered a lot of AI in the past um, because we have, like, a big computing presence, and that's a big part of it. Um, so I've been following it closely. Uh, and, yes, yeah, CES, we saw a lot of it, and we talked to a lot of people. The thing we've been trying to do this year is any time that there's an AI announcement, we ask one question, and it's the easiest question that every company should have an answer to, which is, what? is the data <laughs> that you are using to train this. And it's been incredible to see that nobody actually can answer that question sufficiently. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've actually been in shock. <laughs> like, it should be the number one question that people are ready to answer, and, like, no one really has the right answer for it. And it begs the question of why don't they have the right answer for it, ready to go? Um, and I, I guess we can all speculate on that, perhaps. Right, so... Um... A couple other data points kicking the year off. I know big thing was Valve had previously had a soft ban on any games with AI content in them. Beginning this year, reversed that and said, you know, that's that's fine, but it needs to be clearly labeled on the Steam store whether or not you either have AI-generated content in the game, such as, like, art or other static assets, or if there's going to be, like, creative and real-time generative AI, like an NPC talking to you on the fly using certain tools. Um, and then there was this, uh, what I'm going to call the demented Mario AI at CES, which was, I think in a, like a, a, a perfect encapsulation of like, just the fact that like once everyone thinks and, and, and talks like you can like create guardrails to like control this stuff. But at the end of the day, the whole point of like a feature, like copy and paste, which is kind of how J generative AI feels in a lot of ways is that you like you know you literally can't control it and it, people it's just going to be like run amok and you're going to be at some random trade show and some outfit you've never heard of is co-opting Mario to try and I don't know <laughs> convince you know Target to set up a kiosk to to talk to people about its merchandise. So 
Uh, old people, old people specifically. AA, yeah, it was AARP sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> so wild. I, I also uh, love the statement that I think what like Proto Labs, I think is the name of the AI company behind mm-hmm. that one. The statement they gave where they were like, yeah, it inadvertently showed up on the floor. And it's like, what do you mean? Like Mario just magically showed up on the screen of his own accord and was like, buy shop at Target, everybody. <laughs> like, it's, there's no way that it just magically happened. Like you... You did this, right? You planned for this to happen. And if you didn't, how did it happen? And is that a problem? <laughs> like, it's wild. No, yeah, it was amazing. it's just... Sorry, go ahead. No, also. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, it's just amazing that of all the, the mascots and icons you could use, it's the one that whose lawyers are like, have a trigger finger ready to send a cease and desist to anyone who so much as like winks at Mario. And they were like, oh, sure, this, this, this uh, beloved uh, Italian plumber... We'll we'll be showcasing this this tech that didn't even work, which is kind of like the coup de gras of the whole thing. Didn't another company piss off Nintendo that yes. weekend that also had AI? And, and I was trying to like pitch and write the story really fast, and we didn't do it. But I wanted to be like, Nintendo must hate AI after CES. Like, Ye- not only did they get a copywriting done, uh, but they they had someone be like, the Switch is coming out fall 2024. <laughs> Yeah, we we were the ones that broke that story. It was uh, yeah. a Game Shark uh, decided to come yep. back as AI generated Game Shark, and they were like partnering with Alltech Lansing, which Lame is like shark. which is like a very well known speaker company. Like they produce like audio devices, and they like were like they put out a press release of AI Shark, and they said the Nintendo Switch Two is coming out in September 2024, which was so specific that it was like. Okay, this is like clearly a lie, but like also why? I mean, it's it, it follows a trend, which is that AI companies seem to be very eager to mislead people right now, and whether that's on purpose or whether it's the tech getting out of their hands or whether it's like we just want to draw attention and this is the way to do it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I have guesses, but uh, the fact that it's happening and it happened so much at CES uh, really shows you that we are in the wild west era of the tech, yeah. and that is. Perhaps not good, considering all of the data and and legal issues that are probably going to come once people start digging into this and asking, like, hey, who whose work is, is this stuff trained on? It's also just, like, super indicative of how, the, how fast everything moved with the internet and everything involved with the internet, that all of these people who are likely on the older end of, like, still working, right? The people mm-hmm. who run these companies that make these decisions, like, still don't really understand how, like, fucking Wi-Fi works. Like, these are the <laughs> same people who are, like, your parents that would call you up and be like, my phone's not connecting. And there's somebody going, yeah, there's this thing, and what it does is you don't even need an artist. You just press a button, you type in, like, big red dog, and it makes a dog. It's crazy. It takes, like, two minutes. Like they fully don't get it. Right. No. Yeah. There's it's, no concept of how it works. It's like thinking. It's it's like I think that's actually a, a surprisingly good analog is to because the way some people treat this is like a new clip art tool like for the you know the the 21st century where it's like oh yeah you can just uh, click in any term you want and it'll supply you with an image or like when you search you know Giphy to to find something like yeah it's just the idea of of I need I need to express a thing and this computer will help me express that thing and like who who cares what where the meme came from or what it means like you know and then that's how you get your your mom sending you like the the you know weird weeping uh eggplant emojis and stuff and you're like whoa okay like there's a whole other language and context here you need to know about 
Um, yes. When minions memes and AI start to collide, parents no. are screwed. I mean, there's when you start getting AI generated minions me- memes from your parents. <laughs> oh man, they're gonna be so good. That's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be stuff you want to put in the MoMA. I can't wait. <laughs> Like, these are the same people who, like, get a one-time access code and immediately text it to a number that asked them for it. And they're, like, <laughs> holding the keys to the future of, like, all of our fucking jobs. Like, it's it's quite frankly terrifying. And, I like, I did not understand AI even a year ago today. I do not lean super tech understanding. Like, I have to force myself to learn this stuff. I am too pretty to be that smart. And I am not. And I don't understand a lot of that and did it and I had to learn it and there's not a lot of people who are gonna put that effort in when they think it's like a quick buck or a quick way to cut costs or a quick way to get a minions picture so Giovanni let's go let's let's back up a little and go into uh you had written I think at least this is how I learned about this this interview and and Nvidia's new announcement through you which was um them talking about an expansion of the ace microservice which is supposed to basically help create like ai npcs on command that can speak and interact organically with the player can you talk a little bit about the announcement and how it was presented and and what it means yeah absolutely so uh basically ahead of ces nvidia had a press briefing where they showed all their things they were showing at ces and a big focus of that was ai um they had previously announced this thing called nvidia ace uh which like you said, kind of creates NPCs. It's more kind of focused on being able to generate voices on the fly and have people uh, be able to talk to an NPC and have it talk back to them fluidly. Um, that's like the the bulk of the service. There's a couple of other pieces to that, like AI lip syncing to make that work. Um, but they announced this whole microservice expansion where previously, if you were using it, you had to use the entire pipeline, uh, like the entire tool set. The Ace microservice essentially makes it so you can pick and choose and say, oh, we just want to use the lip syncing thing or we just want to use the text to speech part of this. Um, And as part of that, they named a bunch of partners uh, who were going to be involved in some way, though not really. They didn't clarify what that was. Um, And that involves some big names, uh, the big ones being Ubisoft, uh, Tencent. They named MiHoYo during that specifically. um, And also NetEase, which is like a major, major like mobile gaming giant uh, that I I don't even know if people realize that NetEase is like as huge as it is, right? Um, During that conversation, I asked them, this was, you know, in a press briefing with a lot of other people uh, from press, but I I asked them the very simple question of, hey, so what what data is this trained on? for example, voice the voices, you know, what, who is, who's being trained to generate them. Um, and an NVIDIA rep at the time said, there are no easy answers to that question. <laughs> uh, and just pointed to the fact that data sets are trained on a lot of different data, and they're using so many different data sets because of all the different tools that they couldn't answer it. After this blew up on social media and people dragged them, NVIDIA emailed me and they were like, we're so sorry, we gave a terrible answer. Here's the real answer. Uh, they gave an explanation where they now affirm that they own all of the material uh, that is in the data training tool. Uh, they they double down on that and say, we own the rights or we have the rights to everything in some way, um, which is great. Um, today, I kind of dug into this a little bit deeper. Um, I just spoke uh, earlier today with Convey. Uh, Convey is the AI team that actually made the tools that NVIDIA ACE is using. Um, and I pressed them on the same questions about data usage. And the twist in all of this is that Convey is saying, yes, our data set 
is trained on stuff that we're using. And I was like, great, okay, so this is all above board. But then they also said, oh, but it's also built on top of OpenAI and all these other AI models. Um, and I pointed out to them, well, those AI models are using stuff they don't own. And I, I pointed to a news story uh, where, where OpenAI said in like, to, to the British government or whatever, they were like, it's actually impossible to make these tools without scraping content that's not copyrighted. Um, and I brought this up and they were like, well, we're not using that data though. We're just using the model. And I was like, well, the model's trained off that data though, right? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, well then you're using the data. And they were like, well, there's no way to know what's in that data set because they don't tell us. So it's, it's, that's a long explanation. I'm so sorry. But the, the point there is that the problem with a lot of these tech companies is they're all building and building and building on like each other's models. And the further you get down in the chain, the, the more shady it becomes because like the base AI tools that a lot of these companies are using have to use scraped copyrighted content. And then once you get to the next level above that, sure, Convey and NVIDIA can hire artists to fill in the gaps. But everything that is happening in AI right now is basically trained off of like copyrighted materials from these couple of uh, base models from from Meta or NVIDIA or, or you know, uh, OpenAI. Um, so that's the really complicated place that we're in right now of a lot of these companies can say, yes, we own all the material in our data set. But when you start to ask questions about what about the data sets that you're using in your other, you know, tools or whatever, that's where you get into weird questions. And I think that's going to become the conversation especially when this becomes a legal nightmare. Like, that's the stuff that's going to be in court, <laughs> I think, at some point. Right. It's basically, there's, like, a series of nesting dolls, and it's almost like, in the in the same yeah. way that various websites will scrape your data online, and at some point yeah. you get to the, like, there's just a black market of data brokers, and it's like, I don't even know where this data came from at this point, but we have it. Do you want it? We can sell it to you. Um, and, I yeah, there's, there's this idea of, like, this fruit from the poisonous tree where if open AI's court... Case, like you know the, the one of the big there's several court cases that might get all folded into one but like one of the more um headline-y ones recently was that new york times was going to sue them and if if some copyright judge is like this is all nonsense you can't do any of this um then obviously that blows up a lot of this stuff and nvidia who's writing like a unprecedented um market cap right now off of a lot of speculation around AI stuff. It's kind of like, all right, so what do you, what do you do with all of this? And then at the same time, there's the question of, well, like it, it makes perfect sense to me. Like, and I think to your point, Giovanni, like the data set needs to be so big to train this, that it's kind of like the tools to, to be useful kind of need to be public domain in a way because obviously they rely on on using so many people's things that they don't have ownership of and could never afford to pay for that um like the most obvious example would be wouldn't it make sense for epic to train on like when you think of i guess the the game developers who could have enough data to start training um some sort of version of these things on it's it's i'm guessing you wouldn't even get close to what's needed and so for the idea that nvidia who does not have any of this data itself is somehow uh able to build it on top of OpenAI or, or whoever who is not even necessarily like training specifically in gaming contexts of like you know if you could take Baldur's gate and look at the sum interactions that every player has ever had with an npc in Baldur's gate i'm sure you could probably create additional npcs that are really interesting and convincing 
but you know that that would be a completely separate thing from nvidia coming in being like well we had this um we 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 took a bunch of reddit threads and we saw how commenters talk to each other and so here's this barkeep that's going to give you a quest in a space station and this is how he's going to chat <laughs> this, this is how he's going to sound um so that and that was that's like that's sort of the the tool set for building specifically as you were saying like these voiced npcs Alyssa, you had been covering the reaction to the sec after announcement of this groundbreaking deal. Um, can you can you give us set the set the context for what the announcement was and why it was so controversial? Yeah. So basically, obviously, this has been like this is a larger union issue, and this deal is completely separate from the way that SAG after and like AI and voice actors will be involved or not involved at all um, going forward. So, but they announced this like great like groundbreaking deal on like what was it January tenth at, at CES as well, company. right? Yeah, like this is all yeah, yeah, it was. It mm-hmm. was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they said it was with uh, this company called Replica Studios, and it's basically like you can opt in if you're if you're a unionized voice actor, and you have to sign your own contract with them separately. However, it works. Um, and but it's great because it's going to be legitimately using like your voice recordings, and then going forward, that can be used in other games. Da, 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 da. We talked to so many leading people who are in this in these roles, and they're really happy with this. And they dropped it as an announcement, and like every major voice actor that you know was like, "Huh? Like no, no <laughs> one reached out to me. No one asked us our opinion." And the conversation quickly started, you know, picking up speed as it tends to do with people going, "Well, I wouldn't even want to do this because I actually want to be in the booth. I want to work and." I don't really understand what the benefit this gives me. And I reached out um, to Replica. They never responded to me. I reached out to SAG and it took them maybe 24 hours and they sent me the details of the contract. So I have the actual contract and then I DM'd a bunch of and, and emailed and texted some voice actors and said, can you guys give me an idea of how this actually looks from your perspective? And they're all kind of, if I'm being honest, they don't want to talk because I think they're worried that either this is like something that's going to get folded into larger union stuff, or they don't want to talk like nitty gritty about some of the contract stuff that's going on. Because the thing that this shows me here, I can't put a, you guys, maybe you guys have a better understanding of this. I have no frame of reference for if this is good money, because it's basically like the contract with replica and SAG would be that, you may engage a performer for a recording session for a single voice in connection with the digital voice replicas at no less than the minimum compensation set forth below. A four-hour day would be $956.75, and a six-hour day would be $1,914.25. And they also have to pay due at the time, like compensation, whatever. And you're only allowed to use this for a year, and then you have to revisit the terms. But what I'm trying to understand is, Ain't no way that a voice actor only gets paid that much for a game. And you could essentially take this voice, use it, and make an entire game out of one recording session using AI. Correct? Yeah, so that's the question. Right. <laughs> that's, the, right? that's the thing. Like, nobody knows the answer to these, right? Like, it's so hard to find the answers for these questions, for sure. And I think you have a great, you had a great paragraph at the end of your story on, on this, which was... Uh, I'm just going to read and quote it. 
with the ongoing and shitification oh, of games production where we've just <laughs> where we've where we're just 10 days into the new year and have already racked up an astonishing 2300 layoffs in the industry it's not nice. all that surprising that developers and publishers are looking for new ways to cut costs while the replica deal may seem like it's above board it still poses the question do voice actors want their voices to be replicated by ai and i think that's that's kind of the crux of the issue where i could totally see SAG wanting to get this out there as sort of a model, like here's a way that we can, again, create guardrails to set some standards yeah. for what your AI voice work will look like because otherwise there's potentially actors are just going to start doing this stuff with weird shadowy startups on the side. And eventually to, to Giovanni's point, like there's going to be a data set out there that, that various companies will be training on. And at that point it could be, you know, in theory too late. Um, but I think on the other hand, it was understandable. One, I, I guess it was weird that that SAG didn't try to like brief members on this first to make sure everyone was on the same yeah. page and be like, here are the full things. Here's why we did this, and then go public with an announcement to maybe have leverage with the negotiations that they're they're actually doing right now with with Activision and Insomniac and Epic and the other big game studios. Um, but I totally get like the problem with AI is like once you do it, then everyone else can do it and so like like once you create the model obviously there are i think there will always be in the same way that like um any kind of industry is going to have very bespoke premier top level um you know entities creating what is you know whether it's hbo or a24 or whoever like making the quote-unquote like prestige content Insomniac making Spider-Man 3 is I is going to get bespoke performances and it's going to do whatever it can to try you know assuming that Sony continues to fund them and and not cut them or whatever. But like it's everyone else who you're going to then see like okay, we could just start paying for off-the-shelf voices and you can you yep. see Steam games with yep. tons of basically you know asset flip equivalents of voice work. And so I could totally see like yeah, you might feel like completely opposed to ever doing something with AI. And SAG will say, well, like, well, this is completely optional. You don't have to do it. Um, this is you can opt out, or it's it's there's only one year before you renegotiate. But the idea is like, if enough people do do it, then your work as a voice actor, in the same way as like, if enough people do AI articles, then you as a writer, mm -hmm. like, you can't be like, well, but but my stuff is original. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it is it is a sort of existential threat. It's as opposed to it being like, well, everyone can just do what they want. You know, whatever you personally believe you can do. Anyone doing AI potentially poses an existential threat to the people who don't want to do it. That's I think that's the conversation that this is going to change into. And I think it's like the NFT thing, right? Where when NFT started, it was a conversation of like, oh, we don't like this because it's environmentally bad. Right. And as soon as people started to be like, well, we can solve that. Then it was like, wait, but that's not the actual issue. The actual issue is that this is stupid, right? <laughs> like, this is this is just dumb, and let's just talk about how this is dumb. The other thing was just a smokescreen. I think you're going to see a similar thing here, where I think you will get to the point where there's going to be AI companies that are handling this ethically. And Replica Studios, they they did get back to me. I asked them. I emailed them. Oh. I reached out. I'm, oh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I can give you Maybe the quotes. They... You can have no, them. Uh, but But I asked them about data usage and they maintained that like they have always only used stuff from like you know uh ethical of ethical means even before the sag after after thing the way that they were training their voices was they were using an open source library that was public domain like 
readings, like audiobook readings of public domain books. That's basically how they were training it. They went into this uh, program called like Liber TTS, I believe it was called. Um, and you could just take a, a, a thing out for free of somebody reading a public domain book or whatever. Um, and that's what they were training it on originally. Um, the SAG deal now allows them to use consenting voice actors. I think that's why SAG really liked them, though, because yeah. they were going and doing that. So ethically, I think a lot of these companies are going to start getting above the board like slowly, and I think they're going to be forced to as legal cases happen. And that means that the conversation about this has to shift, which is, okay, is it the data training that's a problem, or is it the ethical threat of, like, we are going to pull humanity <laughs> out of our art, you know, and then replace it with just machines. And I think that's the way that the conversation is going to start shifting, like, probably later this year, <laughs> I would guess. I think once yeah. some of the uh, data data concerns start to, like, clear up a little bit more. But, yeah, it's it's definitely an existential problem. I think you hit it, hit it on the head there, Ethan. Uh, Alyssa, I want you to have the last word on this. What do you what do you think? Either reporters had on about like what you want to find out, or like just had off about what where do you you know where do you stand on this subject? Like, what do you think is going to happen or should happen? I mean, it's like again, this is all stuff that I'm like learning as I go. Um, I know that SAG was happy with with the deal, like in terms of it being above board and it being like a good frame of reference for the the like the collective bargaining situation that's going on right now. But like, yeah, I but what Gio was saying, you know, how do you even, the whole justification of something like this is the sheer immense like scale and speed of something. So once you start to get above board, that scale completely diminishes, right? Like it's, here's here's the five voice actors that we got to agree right now. Um, but that's not the same thing as, you know, scraping uh, every Twitch like upload that you can possibly find of people's voices. So it's like, I can't imagine that the allure with just like NFTs, it pops up really quick. It goes really fast. It gets really expensive. People start becoming millionaires off of it that don't deserve to be, you know, even like talking to other people because they're fucking weirdos. And then you turn around and like, it's it's flat, it's gone, it's burst. So I don't, will it burst this year? Um, I feel like probably. I also just feel like, yeah, the existential crisis is the, is the it's a two-prong argument, and I don't know which one is more successful to which people in which rooms, but that's kind of where it is to me right now. So this next, uh, this next, uh, this is the trial. A lot of uh, trial balloons on this first episode. This is going to be a segment called "Are You Winning?" Where I'm just going to ask you both uh, just random things, and I want your opinion on whether or not it's winning or losing. So the first up, there's been a ton of rumors lately about Xbox taking some of its third-party exclusives to other platforms, including Switch and PlayStation, and um, Xbox. I should say Xbox have been freaking out about this and melting down. Understand? I think somewhat understandably so because, like, if you have been holding out, like, investing in the Xbox ecosystem, holding out that, like, man, they're going to turn things around. We're going to be top dog at some point. People are going to be wishing they had Xboxes because of all the cool shit. And then you hear, like, oh, like, you know, Sea of Thieves or Hi-Fi Rush or some other game might be going to PlayStation. You're like, well, fuck it. Why didn't I just buy PlayStation? I could have a PS5 right now and be playing God of War Ragnarok. Like, what am I doing over here? All right. So, uh, starting with you, Alyssa, Xbox 
potentially taking games, third party game or taking first party games to third party platforms. Winning, uh, winning, losing. Just winning, because just because it makes them mad. <laughs> winning. Uh, Giovanni, what about you? Uh, it's it's winning. I think anyone who's who's complaining about this, I, I like get it on again an existential level. But at the end of the day, it's like who cares, man? Like <laughs> just put the games on other platforms, whatever. We've all been complaining about exclusivity for like so many years, you know. Like yeah, I would love to play Hi-Fi Rush on Switch. That's great. It reminds me of when people are like do the argument of well, I paid my student loan debts, so you <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to get them forgiven. It's like I don't want to have to suffer because of of <laughs> your <laughs> shitty allegiances. <laughs> yeah, we should all be we should all be forced to play Crackdown Three, whether we own an Xbox or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, game subscription services. So um, recently, uh, Ubisoft said that it was trying it, it rebranded its its Ubisoft. I'm not even going to try to. I don't know what it was called before, but it's now basically <laughs> Ubisoft Premier, which is basically you, the same as EA Access, where you get um, day one. Um, access to new games and the whole back catalog and then there's a cheaper classics version where you only get like older games uh now i'm always curious there's always this back and forth on like oh my gosh subscriptions are going to subsume the industry and take over and it's going to be streaming wars like netflix and disney plus and um apple tv and they're going to ruin games and have we learned nothing from how terrible it is to try and watch tv right now uh versus other people who are like no like subscription services have already plateaued and are not going to keep expanding. I know one of Circana's researchers was saying basically like they're month over month, year over year, they're not seeing substantial growth in the number of, of subscribers to things like PS plus and game pass. Um, so subscription services as a, as a thing, as a concept, as the future of gaming, winning or losing. The losing because of physical media. I just feel like you could say that subscription services aren't like working as much anymore, but it's the same thing with people saying everyone was bitching that nobody was watching the Emmys. And it's like, well, it, you don't give me cable for free and uh, I can't find it. I don't pay for the subscription service that it's streaming on. So like, like that's going to keep happening with games. People are decreasing like the actual existence of physical media like you can't go and buy things as much anymore things are releasing just digitally and i think boo loser ever forever and ever like i have an xbox live account and game pass but i buy my games digitally Uh, it's it's a losing for me as well, and and same points there. The just the preservation crisis that it creates, and like the fact that I think there was also a thing where Ubisoft, as part of this, wasn't there a quote where they were like, people need to become comfortable with like not owning their games anymore or something right, like yes. that. Yeah, I mean that's it, like. It's like, okay, well, I just need to be comfortable with not using your subscription service, I guess. Like, I, it goes, this goes two ways, man. Um, I, I think it's anything that is a challenge for preservation, you know, like, these subscription services aren't going to be around forever. They're going to go down one day. What happens? Apple Arcade, a lot of great games on it. One day that service is going to go away and no one will know what Fantasian was. And that's a bummer. <laughs> It's like trying to watch Near Dark before they put like when they pulled it from the Criterion Collection. Like everyone should see that movie, and you can't see that movie because the DVD is seven hundred and forty dollars, and it's from a sketchy place on Amazon. It's like it's gonna keep happening. 
Remember when Armageddon was on the Criterion Collection? That's like the best. That's the best thing about the Criterion Collection is that like one of its first entries was Armageddon, and then they were like, "We're not releasing this again." It was like, "You cowards!" I, I, Damn it! I remember seeing Armageddon in theaters with my mom, and and now I feel old. Um, <laughs> my prediction by the end of 2024, Ubisoft Premiere will be the single best subscription service in gaming. Uh, Get out! <laughs> Ubisoft, <laughs> Ubisoft, winning or losing. I it feels like Ubisoft is having a moment right now. I it depends it depends where you sit on some of their games. I think Assassin's Creed Mirage was pretty good. I think Avatar's uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora was um, both like the the worst Ubisoft game in a lot of very Ubisoft <laughs> ways, but also like very graphically beautiful and it, it, a much more. Um, it's it, for me. It was like the inverse of Far Cry Six, where Far Cry Six was like, "Oh my god, I'm so done with this formula, and this is so gross." And ugh. whereas like Avatar: Frontiers of Pandora is kind of the same game, but I was like, "Oh no, I'm like, this is cool. Like, yeah, like keep making these." <laughs> um, and then Prince of Persia. Now, <laughs> Prince of Persia, uh, mm-hmm. it feels it feels like uh, the VGC had also reported that uh, Mario plus Rabbids, Sparks of Hope, super underrated strategy. Uh, Mario spinoff for the Switch had sold 3 million copies, which while not as much as Ubisoft was hoping is definitely like impressive compared to a lot of other third-party games on the platform. Um, it feels it feels like, what, is Ubisoft, is Ubisoft starting to win? Are they still losing? I, I think they're, I think, yeah, I, I think they're starting to win. I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of games you could point to over the, like, 20, uh, the 2020s so far. Um, Prince of Persia, obviously, being the new one, but, like, they released an Assassin's Creed VR game uh, last year that was actually fantastic. Really, really great game. Uh, I'm a big simp for Riders Republic. That game, very underrated and very good and doomed doomed from the start as a live <laughs> service game. Uh, Sparks of Hope. Um, I think they're starting to kind of figure out how to make games again and not just make the one kind of game, and that's really great to see. But then you also have the other side of Ubisoft that's currently like, well, we're going to use this NVIDIA AI tool and like, you know, we're we're going to like stop letting you buy games at some point and force you under subscription service. So they're like winning and losing. If they would just make more good games like they're doing now, they would be on top of the world again. But there, you can feel the tension of like, but what if we want to ruin our business? Listen, like, what if, what if we want to do it? Listen, listen, that NVIDIA AI tool is the only way... Uh that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is ever going to get finished. So God help them. I pray, I pray they get it up and going. Um, that might be, it might be a better option than what that game was supposed to be using, which was like crowdfunding all the art and stuff from it. I don't know if you remember, if everybody remembers when yo, they like had that announcement with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. That was, yeah. A- like, AI, AI is the better Generative option. AI is the new crowdfunding. Alyssa, Ubisoft, <laughs> good, bad. I mean, it's this, I, Geo's taking the words right out of my mouth, you know, like, uh, I think when they when they have a little fun, they break out of their formula, they remind you that they actually like know how to do shit and can make good games that look pretty and and feel good and are fun. And then, then yeah, then other they like go back to like, take the bump off the table and go fuck it, make another Assassin's Creed, double the waypoints, triple the waypoints, you know, like, and then you're just like, damn, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't care. But I want them to do do make good games and do good things and like it feels like they they're not going to do that it's going to be going to be one or the other going forward 
I just want the hay piles to be bigger. Just make, don't make, make the Assassin's Creed game smaller, but make all the hay piles that you jump into bigger and just have those take up more you know of the what? map. Yeah, it's like the meme. Bring every, every like will make it bigger. Bring back the multiplayer Assassin's Creed. Bring mm-hmm. back the multiplayer Assassin's Creed immediately. Now we're talking. I, and it's just hay. I, I, I do, uh, just a quick point on that. I do feel like for the amount of quote unquote like live service pushes at a lot of these companies, it is the there was so much more i feel like experimental interesting multiplayer spin-offs back mm-hmm. when they were just doing it to try and stop you from trading the game in at GameStop where they're like hey uh yeah. if you want to keep playing Last of Us's multiplayer mode don't 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 trade it in or don't buy used cuz you won't have the code um and now it's like well if we can't invest uh 100 million at least into making you you know some game where you're going to be doing laundry and and fucking buying wardrobes of shit to like impress teenagers i don't know um final one top studio going into 2024 who do you what, what do you think is the the top studio whether they have a game coming out this year or not oh god <laughs> don't make me go first uh, i uh, okay I, I have two i have two potential answers for this um oh. I, p- potentially one is insomniac um, who I don't, I mean, we know does not have a game game next year now. Sorry, everyone, for, for doing spoilers unethically, but they don't have a game coming next year, as we know from, from the big leak. Um, Spider-Man 2, really big success for them, and I think they have a lot of goodwill after that. I think, I feel like the, the feeling in the industry right now is kind of like, of the AAA developers, they're kind of, kind of the best one right now. Um, and they're also just riding that wave of goodwill of like, hey... We feel bad about what happened to these guys, and they, they seem the studio itself seems like they're not bad people, so there, there seems to be a lot of sympathy. Um, so I think they're kind of riding high, and they have a lot of big projects coming, uh, you know, so, so that. The other one that I would throw out there, though, is Monolith Soft. Um, the Nintendo studio that has worked on a ton of stuff, Xenoblade, um, they offered support on, like, every major Switch game that you love, like Breath of the Wild they were involved in. If there is a Switch 2 this year... Monolith Soft, Monolith Soft probably has a big game that is launching this year for that console. It'll probably be a game of the year thing we don't know about yet. You know, whether that's a, you know, I don't know, whatever whatever it could be working on, some big RPG. Um, I think they're one to watch uh, heading into the year that, that might actually have a game at some point. But we'll see. It could just be a port of an old Xenoblade. I think Xenoblade Chronicles X might well, yeah, get... yeah, that's the hearing, current rumor. Yeah. That's what we need. That. So, yeah, more Xenoblade. <laughs> bring, bring it on. Alyssa. I don't know if I could pick just one either. I mean, it's like a twofer, like for stupid reasons. One's gen- one's nice. Rockstar is just going to ride this year like <laughs> they're going to print money. <laughs> I'm not going to say, like obviously next year is going to be even bigger. But just think about how many times, I mean, I don't know if you're checking your email, uh, third time daddy, but um, we get sent emails about, gta on like gta bullshit from companies just like already talking about it the florida man guy has been in my inbox consistently i just think like i hope we see more but that's mostly just a joke the real one is i think certain affinity's got something big coming with halo i think that's why they sent me a very nice no comment when i asked about this battle royale thing i think the new halo infinite season that's coming out pretty soon has been like there's aspects of it that have been pretty quiet and i think this rumor got pulled up at the exact time when it'll kick everyone's interest up it gets quiet and then we're going to figure out what the fuck they've been working on since 2022 um and as a halo infinite apologist 
<laughs> I would like to see that. Uh, you mentioned earlier the Nicki Minaj stuff. Uh, so just for anyone who's not already aware, um, <laughs> I've got to recap real quick what, what you were talking about. Um, this is oh yeah. Uh, this is reading from the, a write up over at the Gamer by uh, Tessa Cower, and uh, she she writes or they write it started when uh, Minaj tweeted a collection of very obviously AI generated images. The garbled text and incorrect number of fingers were dead giveaways. The images were a promotion for her new track Press Play, a collaboration with rapper Future that appears on the new Gag City Pluto edition of her album Pink Friday Two. Um, Del Walker, uh, who I believe is uh, was previously a designer at Rocksteady Studios, currently at Naughty Dog, quote tweeted Minaj's tweet, saying that using AI images in a marketing campaign sends out the message that the artist uh, is basically like broke and uh, sucks. <laughs> and uh, Minaj later, you know, quote tweeted that tweet with a bunch more AI art, and then later followed up saying that anyone retweeting or discussing this topic is a paid mole. Uh, which I believe is something that 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 she's that she's said before about other other topics. So uh, this is the final one on uh, the winning or losing. Is <laughs> so uh, Nicki Minaj winning losing? All right, now listen. You can't <laughs> ask me about Nicki Minaj and like I'm gonna try and keep it tight. But first of all, FTCU fuck the club up. That's one of her best songs in a long time. The album otherwise is just full of shitty remixes of songs. That's not very good. Okay. It's super cool that she's in Call of Duty. She recorded all her VO for it. I love that. But. Did she? How do we know now? It could be AI. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she's like, like technically, ethically, she's losing. Musically, a couple songs are pretty good. But ethically, you know. You don't want to speak out against the barbs either. Like, these girlies will find you. I'm and, counting on it. Um, That's how we're going to get to number one on the podcast charts. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna geolocate us. Hate listen right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I, it, it, all signs point to losing, but I will say winning uh, to hedge my bets and, and because she did write Truffle Butter, which is uh, a, what a banger Truffle Butter is. Not the Truffle Butter. Yes. <laughs> That woman That's is a- an excellent rapper. She writes incredible rhymes. She's also crazier than a box of frogs. And like, <laughs> you gotta I respect, respect it. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now moving on to a mini segment I'm calling Vibe Check, which I decided it could have been part of the winning or losing, but it's more specific to games that haven't come out yet that are upcoming. Um, Foam Stars is number one. I want to know <laughs> what's the what's the Vibe Check on Foam Stars uh, coming out this this what it's it's. February? I, I missed the release date. February 8th, I believe, right. and it's going to be on PS Plus. Right. For, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Free if you have the subscription. Wedged right in there between Suicide Squad and Helldivers 2. Perfect. Um, so, I, I, Alyssa and I both, I think, we, actually, all three of us played this probably at Summer Game Fest. I don't know if anyone's played it since, but yeah. um, I remember coming away from it being like, this is a solid uh, gameplay loop, but I don't know if this is worth the game. And it definitely... Yeah. Now that it's a PS Plus, I think everyone was being like, oh, this this maybe needs to go free to play. But also if it did go free to play, it might not actually ever make money because people would play it and then bounce. Um, the PS Plus thing reeks of, I think it was uh, Demolition. Or what? There was a couple other. Destruction oh. All-Stars. Yes, Destruction All-Stars. Mm-hmm. There's a, yeah, there's been a couple of these. I think PlayStation sort of trying to recreate the success of Rocket League where PS Plus really, I think, propelled that game to its current established you know, live service like 
top 10, top 20 spot, um, where I think a lot of people probably would not have necessarily paid to give car soccer a chance. Um, being like, oh, so all you do is play soccer as a car? That's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, so so to, to both of you, what's the what's the check on this? Uh, vibe check bad on this, not because I think the game's going to be bad. I think people will enjoy it. What I played at Summer Game Fest was fine. I, it's, it's not as fun as Splatoon, but that's fine. Nothing is. Um, <laughs> I just think the live service games have a tough time to begin with uh a fun loop just isn't going to be enough and it's especially not going to be enough crunched between uh persona 3 uh like a dragon infinite wealth prince of persia final fantasy 7 rebirth uh it's it's a real small game in the middle of that and with live service games if it doesn't catch fire immediately it's it's a tough climb from there and uh yeah i think it it'll be fun for a month some streamers will probably play the heck out of it and like make it their brand for a month, and then this game will go the way of Knockout City in a year, and 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 that'll be the end of it. And so vibe is probably bad, but if you just like playing a fun game for a month, probably good. <laughs> yeah, vi- vibe is a uh, vibe is not long for this world. I think I think um, you definitely can have fun doing it, and I do think yeah, like with every new game that comes out that has this kind of component, whether it's like got a free to play aspect, it's multiplayer, it's just it's fodder for streamers and especially mid range or small range streamers trying to like kind of corner a new game and become that person associated with it. Um, so I think it'll pop off like that, but yeah, when it's releasing, is not going to help it at all. Um, and then maybe I think it could potentially, if they don't immediately jump ship, once they see it's not doing well, it could potentially become something that square just like, keeps putting stuff into and then it has one of those random great season 12s where everyone's like honestly this game is like you know it's clicking but yeah vibes vibes eh right now but it was our meet cute ethan and i'll never forget it it was the first time we finally hung out in person after working together for nearly a year was it i guess yes (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know we're we're at the whole show together so um suicide squad uh second on the vibe check list um what what are you where are you feeling on this Vibe's not great uh, coming out of those previews for IGN.com to just write a preview and say we don't like it. Uh, that's that's a pretty rare thing to happen for, for yep. our good friends over at IGN.com. Uh, it, it doesn't look great. The fact that they had to like lift the the you know NDA on like the streamers so that they could be like oh, I love this game is is seems like damage control. I don't think it's going to be bad. I think it'll be perfectly fine, but it looks like a Gotham Knights situation where it's it's just not is is not going to be it's not going to be Rocksteady's next hot game. So I'll I'll say the vibe is bad on it, but yeah, again, coming out in a tough time, busy two months at the beginning of the year. Uh, is is a tough month to drop it in. Vibe vibe is can will we finally not get any more of these like superhero on <laughs> like but just stop. I think vibe is hopefully please let this be the end. Please God save me. Please stop. I just, I just don't care. And they've been delayed. This has been delayed so much. There's been so much back and forth about it. Um, and then it debuted, like premieres, previews came out and people were like, it sucks ass. Nobody was like, I'm so shocked. I'm shocked. This is going to be amazing. This I love not when my happened. gear score goes up. Yes. Yes. Crank the gear score. All right, yo, but and- Harley Quinn talks like this the whole time. Correction. Correction. In fairness, for the record, they stripped the gear score out. There is no. There is no oh, gear score. The rest of the game, they did, they did. the same. But the gear well, score then I gone. don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. Now I'm go. I actually wanted the gear score the whole time secretly. So they should put it back I- in. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Not. Not good. Finally, Hell Divers Two. 
um, I've, a game that I don't think anyone has actually played. I don't know that there have been any actual previews of this. Um, and it is weirdly only $40, which I feel like $50 is the new price point for what used to be $40. So the fact it's like now this is sort of like a AAA indie game. So it's, it's just a weird, I don't know, the, the expectation setting for what this game will or won't be is very weird, especially since they're moving from uh, over um, top-down view to an actual full 3D or a third-person over-the-shoulder shooter. Um, I assume neither of you even care about this. <laughs> I, I was going to say five neutral, I, but go ahead. I was going to say mostly neutral, but like I am always down for a shooter that feels like a little heavier and like but like third person. Like basically I miss Gears of War and I'm not saying it's going to be anything like that, but any game that comes out that's that's third person and can offer me like a chance to dick around it, like with shooters that are different, I'm I'm going to check it out. Uh, I think the vibes visually look sick. Um, I just, I like the energy, but it's not something that I would know. I wouldn't necessarily be like, I can't wait to talk about this with Ethan, but I know that Ethan can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> I love that game on Vita. I tried to get all my friends to play it. None of them did. Um, so oh, wow. rest in peace. I, I really, I really know nothing about it. it. It's just one of those games that like I've known is coming. I've seen it at a bunch of streams. I could not tell you a single thing about what it looks like, what it's about, what the game is. Is a shooter great? I, I thought it had airplanes. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it looks, it looks, it looks like fine. Lo- I'm guessing. Three is this what we, what we playing here? <laughs> is World of World of Tanks is back? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it'll probably be fine. I just. Again, it's another game that is coming out sandwiched between a bunch of other games that are going to make headlines, and it's impossible to see this really breaking through in, like, a huge way. Um, And it's such an important one for Sony because, like, this is kind of the start of its live service push in some way, right? Like, this is kind of PlayStation's first big live service experiment. So, like, it it better do something because you don't want that to start with a flop. I mean, that's why the final shape was delayed, because they were too afraid to go up against Helldivers 2. They're like, all right, <laughs> there can only be one yeah. this month of February. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, Hell- maybe Helldivers will. It's going to beat Destiny. Maybe you're right. So, Alyssa, you were talking a little bit ago about Halo. Um I know, I know you and dozens of other people are still playing it. What, what, well, fill us in on the Battle Royale rumor that was going around and, and why you're excited for the next season of Halo Infinite. Um, okay, well, where to start? I mean, so a little while ago, there was a confirmation, I guess 2022, that their certain affinity was working along. They were deepening their relationship with 343 Industries. It was very, like, very hard to understand what they were saying, but there was a lot of deepening and enriching words. Um, and then they kind of started saying that they had like hundred people working on this game and we're leading whatever this is, this thing, and it's we're leading development on it. Um, and then it kind of got quiet. And then there were there the Xbox Era podcast was just chatting. I mean, I watched the entire episode. And it's a very small bit where someone just goes, did you hear that that thing, which was confirmed by Bloomberg in 2022 to be called Project Tatanka, did you hear that that was canceled? And then one of the guys said, yeah, yeah, I heard that was canceled too. Um, And then everyone ran with it. So a bunch of publications, rumored Halo Project, rumored to be canceled. And everyone was kind of freaking out. And I reached out to them and I looked into it and it's like, 
it's never confirmed in the first place. Certain affinity won't tell me anything. They won't say what it is. They won't say if it doesn't exist anymore. And it was just them having a passing conversation. Um, and I believe the gentleman who, why can't I remember his name? It's either John or Nick at the site messaged me and said, like, this could have been something that you heard from like Bob at the pub, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's very casually us chatting and everyone just sort of ran with it. We don't even know what it is, but I'm excited because I think Halo Infinite has hit its stride towards the end of the year last year with Forge and everything like that. I mean, it's frustrating because it's how the game should have been when it launched, <laughs> but it is really cool to play it now. It sort of feels like, I don't know, we just got the MCC again packaged differently. Um, so I'm excited about Halo. I think it'll it's always going to be like the most fun shooter for me and the one that doesn't make me angry and frustrated and every other shooter now does that and Halo still has that joy that I think is really hard to find. Um, so I'm always going to like that. Speaking of joy, so why, what was, fill me in on why Overwatch 2 isn't bringing you joy or why it's recent, <laughs> why it's recent mode was, anytime people get mad at Overwatch 2, I'm like, I, I like, I just, it always seems out of sync with like the actual thing. Like, oh my gosh, there's yeah. a new mode. How dare they? <laughs> it, I think it's just because ultimately you took, you took my toys out of the pram and then you gave me a different toy. And I'm like, where's my toy? And I'm going to keep throwing that one back out because this is, you. Oh, they changed Overwatch so much and the core of Overwatch with the launch of Overwatch 2, the sunsetting of the original game, you know, the promise of PvE that never happened, that got gutted. All of these things that sh we kind of had to grin and bear it and deal with it because we love the core concept of Overwatch as a hero shooter. And we love the way that the multiplayer works when it works. Um, we're just kind of sitting there going like, where is that feeling again? It's like that chasing that high that you will never reach again, but we're just doing it and doing it and doing it in the hopes that something will crack through. But these last like few decisions, including adding, basically replacing quick play, which is the most common way that people play Overwatch. Um, it's like the same format as competitive mode, but obviously there's no stakes. You get to learn characters there. It's super helpful. Replacing that entire mode over a weekend with a different version when you have an arcade right there that you throw experimental game modes in, but instead you tell everybody, the core people who are still here, how they play your game to play it different or like get lost. It's just, it just is always seems like they're trying to push to get more and more people to play it and more and more people to try it out. New people that have never played it and try and sell it as a fast shooter. It's a hero shooter. It's a team play game. And every step they make towards, you know, decreasing the amount of people out there on like in like 5v5 from 6v6 to letting people passively heal all of this stuff just makes it faster and more like aggressive shooters like call of duty or something like that and that's not what, why we like overwatch so that's why i'm pissed but once i get off this i'm gonna fucking play it anyway <laughs> so it doesn't really matter i just i do feel like overwatch 2 has the destiny problem of like mm -hmm. once you are turned off to it you like never go back. You never try it again. You never pick it back up. Like when I first played the original Overwatch and I was like, oh, this isn't really for me. It's not doing it for me. Like I never had any interest in ever trying it again. Uh, whereas there are other games like Rainbow Six Siege, um, obviously called any new Call of Duty or like even Halo Infinite where it's like, I don't feel, there just doesn't feel like there's the same baggage that I can sort of like jump in for the first time and start anew, which like obviously Destiny 2 doesn't have either, but like I feel like I'm not sure exactly what that is with a game like Overwatch 2, but it definitely feels like there's 
they're running up against the wall of like everyone who wants to play this game is already playing it so you got to figure out what to do with them and not and not try to chase new people um it's almost like the game could have used a a good single player mode that might have onboarded <laughs> new people oh man that would have been a really good idea to bring people into the game i, I do wonder like like xbox now that they're in charge like it it, it feels like that's um that's that's like a huge opportunity on game pass and other places to be like all right here's like a, a short overwatch single player experience that can bring people into this world and be like excited about all the lore and the story and the characters without having to worry about someone being toxic to them because they don't know how to fucking like heal or block or whatever <laughs> it's just it the game has an incredibly high skill ceiling and i think people like don't even think about that but as far as multiplayer games go there's just so much to learn and it's so not user-friendly in a lot of ways, even with all of the modes that you can practice in, it doesn't compare to what it's like playing it. So yeah, it's just a really hard game, I think, to be like, come join us. You like to bang, bang, shoot things? You could do that here, because that's not really how it feels. Uh, now, Giovanni, you recently wrote a preview of Persona 3 Reloaded, and this is... This reload. Reload. No Ed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Persona 3 Reload. Um <laughs> The I, I uh, it hasn't really been on my radar in that I'm just kind of it just kind of felt like it, it I kind of my mind immediately put it in this bucket of just like remasters and remakes that are sort of just like here's a way we can sell you this game again. Do you feel like this is this this could be like the best Persona outside of five? Like could it be Persona Four Golden but for 2023 or 2024 or is it sort of going to be like it's just another version? It's it's just another version. Um, I, I did play like an hour of it, um, and you can't glean much from an hour of a Persona game because that is mostly just spent talking to NPCs and having them be like, I love to go to the arcade and shoot. And you're like, great, that was a great hour of gameplay that you had me put on this. Um, from what I played, though, it does not really seem like it's going to be like the next hot definitive Persona game. I think they kind of screwed themselves by re-releasing Persona 3 Portable so recently, because I feel like everybody returned to it then and was like, wow, this is the best version of this game. And now they're like, here's that, but less. And you're like, okay, cool. It It is completely fine. It plays great. People who've never played Persona 3 are going to enjoy it, I'm sure. But it is also kind of like, this feels like a fan mod of Persona 5, where somebody just like rebuilt Persona 3 in it with like the same UI, but turned it blue. Um... I'm 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 sure it'll be fine. I, I'm not really itching to play it, but I'm also the kind of person who like doesn't really need these one-to-one remakes anymore. Like I, they're they're good. They're always good. I really enjoyed playing Dead Space last year. It didn't change my relationship to Dead Space in any way. Like I I could have played the original Dead Space and it would have been mostly the same emotional experience. And I think Persona Three Reload is going to fall into that category. I I just I don't see it really changing anyone's relationship to it in the way that you know some of the other persona re-releases have in the past like portable uh, three portable for example um but you know that said if you've never played it before and you have only played persona 5 and you're like i love persona 5 it seems like it's the persona 5 of vacation of persona 3 uh and and i'm sure somebody will be excited about that right. and that's that's really cool <laughs> yeah someone playing it for the first time oh, it's giving me very strong persona 5 vibes over here yeah um, <laughs> Real quick, what are, what are, top three personas for you? Um, 
I, I think five is the best. Um, I, I haven't played one and two, so this is a difficult, a difficult conversation. Uh, five uh, is the best. I think three is right under that. I think the vibes of it are immaculate. Uh, four I would put under that. I like four, but I don't like it as much as other people because I think it's kind of mean. I think it's kind, of, I think it's kind of a mean game in a way that I don't love, and uh, it, I had a lot of trouble getting through it. So uh, yeah, I, I would do five, three, five, three, four. Speaking of speaking of mean games, um, so you, I thought you had a, you had a, you had a really uh, really good interesting review of the Last of Us Part Two remastered. That's what it's officially called, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I'm just going to incorrectly, right? I'm going to read uh, just a sh- very short um, uh, quote so you have good. from 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 your write up. As a double dip built for super fans, The Last of Us Part Two Remastered is a fine, though inaccurately titled, collector's edition with some valuable archival material. But as an extension of Naughty Dog's creative visions, it's borderline mockery that turns a thoughtful story into a cruel punchline, which I'm sure is exactly <laughs> what Neil Druckmann wanted to hear. Oh, I'm going to see that man in person at the New York Critics Circle Awards soon, oh, and I really shit. hope he hasn't read this piece. I or I hope he has and has really there. thoughtful opinions on it and hasn't even had about it, but we'll see. Well, so I I want I want you to break break down your your thoughts on this uh two different aspects. One, the roguelite okay. mode and how it is or isn't creatively bankrupt and also just a, a an awkward addition given the nature of the game. And then also what it was like revisiting this game in the current uh socio uh, uh socioeconomic uh geopolitical yeah. context. There it is. Uh, yes, uh, I'll, I'll tag those both. Uh, first of all, no return. That's the name of this roguelike mode. Um, if you are if you're looking for something as in depth and and fascinating and, and narratively cool as God of War Ragnarok's Valhalla, oh, bad news, everybody! Uh, this is like the most stripped down roguelike mode possible. There, there's no narrative framing to it. You walk into a room. There's a board. You do six levels of arena battles, and and that's it. I don't think it's fun. I've talked to some people who are like, it's a lot of fun. Personally, I've never thought the combat of The Last of Us Part Two is fun, and I didn't think it was supposed to be fun. I thought it was supposed to make you feel kind of bad, and that was the point of it. It's like slow and clumsy, and when you hit somebody with a melee weapon, you're like, ooh, this sucks. Like, I, I just chopped this man's head off, you know? Like, this, this feels horrible. And recontextualizing all of that into, like, fun John Wick action mode game that still has the same slow pace and clumsy gameplay, and still has NPCs calling each other by their names and being like, Jerry! Someone killed Jerry! His blood's everywhere! Call Jerry's mom! Quick, call his mom! She's gonna be so sad! It's like, what are we doing? And it's in the same game as, like, they add perks where, like, sometimes you can get a perk where you hit somebody with a melee weapon and they burst into flames. Ha ha ha! And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are we doing here, guys? Um, I, I think it is a, a poorly made mode period like uh, divorced from any context i don't think it's fun i think it's using a combat system that was never made for a fast-paced fun roguelike mode and i do not think modes like this are good i don't really like the resident evil mercenaries modes either because i feel like uh it runs into a similar thing of like this is a survival horror combat system put into an action game i i don't know that this is something you can port over um but placed in the context of a video game that really lays it on thick about why cyclical violence is a bad thing and why, hey, you need to break the cycle of violence because it's bad. I, I just, like, don't know how you can do it with a straight face. I mean, literally a game mode about repeating cycles of violence endlessly to unlock cool t-shirts for Ellie is, like, 
the the most creatively bankrupt thing I've I've truly ever seen. And I've seen some people be like, "Who cares? It's just an add-on mode for a game. Like it it doesn't impact the story in any way." But it's like, well, but it's being packaged with it, and also like it wants you to use the same combat system, the exact same combat system that it built to tell you that violence is bad, in the context of a fun like roguelike mode. And I think it gives you insight into like maybe why these games don't necessarily land 100% well for everybody because they are they they are trying to make something that is serious but they're also trying to make a fun video game and I don't think the last of us should be fun and that's I'm sorry some art's not supposed to be fun art's supposed to be antagonistic sometimes the last of us is at its best when it antagonizes you and it is at its worst when it's like shoot this man in the head and get 100 points i just like i don't know what we're doing there um that's the roguelike half of it. If you're just buying it for that, congratulations on and d- d- playing a not very good roguelike mode. You should play God of War Valhalla. Um, the geopolitical aspect of it, um, th- it is no secret that The Last of Us Part II uh, was a game that was heavily inspired by the Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh, this is not a speculation or a tinfoil hat thing. This is something that Neil Druckmann has gone on record as saying. He saw a video of, of I believe, like a Israeli officer or something being killed by a mob uh, of, of Palestinian people, and he had this reaction of like, oh, I want revenge on these people, and I, I I want these people to suffer. And then he was like, oh, let's unpack why I feel that way and turn it into a video game about two sides that are both wrong getting into a conflict. And I think in 2020, Israel-Palestine stuff was still happening. It, it, this was still an issue. People who were really tuned into it knew, but it wasn't the mainstream news story that it is at this very moment. So it kind of skirted around scrutiny of that topic, you know, and and how the game handles it. Do not think it has the same luxury in 2024. And when you come back to it, a lot of his nuance in his storytelling about it just kind of falls apart uh, because his nuance is basically... Hey, in in cycles of violence where there's two sides, everyone's wrong. There's a moral gray zone and everybody's in the wrong. And like when you look at the, the event that's happening right now in the world, you realize that like, you know, that's not always necessarily true. Sometimes there's like collateral damage that's like innocent <laughs> in this and like painting them as also morally gray in a game where you are indiscriminately killing a lot of people, you know, and then afterwards being like, they were good and bad, um, I just think is is a limited worldview that sounded really smart in 2020, and now that we're actually so close to the conflict that it's talking about and realizing how that gets mutated um, in how this conflict has been carried out and, like, we're, we're seeing refugee camps getting bombed and being like, well, there's terrorists there, and it's like, you get into this really complicated thing where it's like, you know, I I don't know that everyone is moral gray is actually the profound thing that Neil Druckmann thought it was in 2020. Um, And so it's really uncomfortable to return to. And and that I think is it. I think the game's still really solid for the most part. I think it has uh, really strong first two acts. The structure of it is uh, bold and, and surprising. Um, but especially once you get to that third act in California where it's like, now here's the bad guys who are cool to kill. And it like, we're going to treat our characters truly <laughs> and lead them to the worst resolution possible. Um, I think it comes off as a little more immature. Um, and you, and you mentioned, I think, I think in the, in some of like the archival footage of them sort of talking about like the, the plot devices of certain factions and things that like, yeah, there a lot of times these games are working backwards from the core game to play loop, which is uh, super gruesome murder. And they're like, how yeah. can we like tell a story with that still being central, <laughs> the central, yeah. the central verb. 
Yeah, it, it, it seems like replaying it, you really get the sense that, like, they are good at making games about shooting, and so they have to build stories about shooting. And, like, I, I think sometimes they handle it well, and sometimes they don't. And I think The Last of Us 2 is a game that mostly doesn't handle it well, despite being, like, a really technically marvelous game with a lot of really cinematic qualities to it that I think are, are, are groundbreaking and unimpeachable. Um, but once you get into the nuances of this game and, and start to treat it as art... As as the studio wants us to do so badly is treat its game as art and treat it like cinema. It's like, cool, this is what happens when you're art and cinema then. We are going to scrutinize every decision that you make in the same way that we would like Terrence Malick. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we're we're not gonna give you a free pass on it. Um and, and that's how I stand with it. The way I would describe Last of Us Part Two Remastered is like it's a good product and a not very good piece of art, <laughs> you know, like a, as a package. Um if you just want to buy it as like a Criterion collection of The Last of Us, cool. There you go. There's some bonuses. Some of them are worth checking out. Some of them aren't. Um, but if you are kind of looking at like how that whole piece functions and, and speaks uh, to kind of what the developers are saying in the game and, and how that's incongruous with their design, um, it's worth it's worth playing for that too, I guess. It, it's a really informative package for sure. Alyssa, Neil Druckmann, winning, losing. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you're going to see him. <laughs> no, I'm not, because I'm leaving to California ah. on Tuesday. I know, okay. I'm bummed, actually. I actually really wanted to go and present. I'm not going to the New York uh, Video Game Critics Circle Awards ceremony. Um, uh, Dr- Druckmann, um, you know, people like to blacklist Kotaku. Even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I have no idea what you're talking reasons, about. Lo- a lot of reasons losing. A lot of reasons losing. Um, I didn't also really like his suit at the award <laughs> show that he was recently at. So, losing a little extra. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not going to see him. So, I can just fade back into the background and he won't even know who I am. I'll let him know. Losing. <laughs> losing and also a free Palestine. That's all I have to say about that. All right, so I want to I want to wrap up with one thing that is all giving us life uh, this this week, this month, uh, since it's the Dead Game podcast. Uh, but we're not dead; we're live. And the thing that's giving me life, because I'll kick this off, is uh, Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of Twitter, formerly or X, formerly known as Twitter.com. Uh, her mom's meatballs, which are made with raisins, and if you know, you know. <laughs> Uh, I just want to throw that one out there. I thought it was uh, some real good, wholesome content. Opened me up to a whole new world of meatball preparation. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try that recipe myself uh, one day and feed it to my dog. So Alyssa, Alyssa, (laughs) what's giving you life? Uh, I mean, this is completely unrelated to games. Uh, What is giving me life is the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Um, They have had... Some of the best reality TV. Bravo is killing it. If you don't watch reality TV and you want to start somewhere, DM me. I'll send you a list. Um, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is just hilarious and amazing. And they're having their finales right now. And it's a three-parter. And it's really cunty and funny. Can we say cunty? Okay. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could say it. <laughs> it's just, it's really good. I love reality TV. When your brain is overwhelmed, as mine is a lot, it's really fun to watch um objectively not great people have fights with each other in pretty dresses giovanni what about you 
I, I you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one to Alyssa. The other day, I did turn on Bravo TV, and this is something that did give me life. I turned on an episode of the Vanderpump Rules for the first time. I had never seen it uh, before, and uh, it just so happened to be an episode where there was an argument about uh, a couple, like, the guy was going to go on a boys' trip to Vegas, and the, the his, his partner was like, please don't go to Vegas. It's my birthday. Um, and there's a very emotional scene in it where he's like, babe, I'm never going to leave you. I'll always be here for you. But we're going to, like, go crush shit in tractors in Vegas, and I really want to go do that. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. I love it. It, it really re- reinvigorated my life, and uh, I, I do agree with Alyssa. Uh, Bravo Reality TV is, is, a, is a whole world that, that will, uh, will blow life into your little cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hell well, thank yeah. you. Thank you Hell both yeah. so much for joining me on the inaugural episode of the Dead Game Podcast. You're both brilliant, and I was so happy to have you. Uh, where can people find you? Everyone knows where. I'm on Kotaku, and I'm on Twitter a lot. <laughs> Kotaku. And, <laughs> and also at the local uh, dispensary, because I'm still not drinking for dry January. Wow. So see you there. I think it's called Bud. No, I'm not going to say the one by me. I don't want anyone to go there. I'm gatekeeping it. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mario Prime. You can find my writing about video games on digitaltrends.com. Uh, and you can hear me talk about video games on my podcast, Left Trigger, Right Trigger, as well. If you, if you like my voice, you can do that. <laughs> everybody everybody, go listen. Everybody go read their their work. Uh, and you can find me um, on the Dead Game Substack right now while I'm on paternity leave. And then in a few months, uh, God willing, you will find me back on Kotaku.com. <laughs> So thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, This has been the first episode and we hope to see you back next time.